you know, it's just there's so many facets to uh, oysters are such an interesting animal to work with because nobody really cares about them unless they have a bit more context because they're not that relatable. They don't have cute eyes or any other features that uh, that we associate with animals. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people aren't even sure if they are an animal, but you know they have a heart, they have they have kidneys, they and 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 they have a story to tell. We can tell it. Hi, I'm Manny, and you're listening to Conservation Conversations. On today's episode, I chat with Dr. Dominic McAfee about my involvement in conservation, how I got into the dive industry and my thoughts about the future of the ecological health within Coffin Bay. This was recorded on September 12th, the day after the community forum held at the Coffin Bay Yacht Club. If you haven't already listened to the presentation that Dom gave, go back and check it out. It's well worth the listen. You can find it right here. It's the first episode of this podcast. With that being said, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Dominic McAfee. Would you mind um, introducing yourself? And by way of a first question, could you brief, sort of briefly tell me um, about your involvement in coastal restoration projects to date and, and sort of how you find yourself here? What's motivated you to be involved? Sure. Um, so introducing myself, my name is Manny Katz. I got into coastal restoration via recreational scuba diving. So back in 2016, or I guess back in 2015, I got my, my paddy, my open water ticket, um, so I can go scuba diving. And then in 2016, I moved to Hawaii. I studied at the at Hawaii Pacific University for a little bit for a brief period of time before dropping out and pursuing a career in recreational scuba diving. So I went, got my dive master certification, got my scu- open water scuba instructor certification, and primarily just worked in the tourism industry, where just, just taking people diving, going and looking at shipwrecks and um, coral reef ecosystems and sea turtles and all that sort of stuff. And after after starting up at, at one shop, um, I after I was there for a couple of years, I moved to, I was on Oahu initially, and I moved over to the big island of Hawaii, and I lived in a town called Kona on the, on the west side, where I started at a shop that also did, that was, they were conservation focused. Um, so it still was a tourism operation, but they worked closely with the University of Hawaii Hilo, doing coral reef monitoring, monitoring bleaching events, um, the impact of tourism on coral reefs. And this was my introduction to conservation work. Um, they did a whole bunch of things, uh, reef life surveys, they did, uh, photogrammetry surveys, 3D modeling of the coral reefs and observing change over time. Uh, so working with transects and GPS plotting of, of these reefs. Um, so that was, that, was my, that was my intro to it and I, I loved it, it was, it was awesome. We would, and we would be opportunistic about when we would do these surveys. So we would have tourists with us and they would give us a hand in, in just, hold, you know, just holding the transect lines or mm. um, our, our dive slates recording information. And so they would get to watch us do the work, but also be involved in a way and 
it would be more meaningful to them as tourists getting to be involved in conservation work. So it was, you know, quote unquote ecotourism, mm -hmm. right? Which was cool. And that was, that was, that's kind of led me to where I am now with Coffin Bay Scuba. Mm. So. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. I love that idea of that ecotourism side of, of, of recreational diving. And um, it's a very different experience yeah. when you're holding a piece of equipment yeah. uh, and, and you're capturing some data. So uh, that's, that's cool. Um, so where you are now, where we're sitting is beautiful Coffin Bay, looking over what is fast becoming one of my favorite parts of Australia. Um, and can you tell me, you know, what did you know about native oyster reefs when you when you came here, and 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 what is what is um, how do you think that fits into the story of of Coffin Bay? I knew absolutely nothing about oyster reefs. I um, when I when I first came here, there there weren't any diving resources it was it was funny because when i when i first moved to this area which i moved down here because my, my my partner she's she's from this area originally um and when i came here there was very little known about the wildlife here about the ecosystems if you if you went onto google four or five years ago and you typed in marine life in coffin bay you, the only things you'd find would be fish size limits and uh, daily daily take limits bag limits just for fishing and, and that was that was it but over in Adelaide because I'd, I'd, I'd lived in Adelaide for a little bit there's you know you go dive there and there's there's heaps of nudibranchs and you know invertebrates and crustaceans and all sorts of really cool fish and so you figure that we're just across the pond we'd it'd probably be pretty good marine life here seeing as it's also a lot more isolated and a lot less human involvement and so I didn't know anything about it and so that's kind of what got me into starting the dive shop here because all I wanted to do when I moved here was go scuba diving and they're all the, the the closest resources were in Port Lincoln but driving you know going and hiring out gear from from Lincoln and then bringing it half an hour into coffins and then doing a dive and then driving all the way back to Lincoln dropping off the gear and then coming back out to coffins because it's you know it's that's two hours of driving just to spend an hour underwater you know um so, yeah, so we started the shop, started, you know, documenting the, the marine life here, and then I started finding native oysters or remnants of, of oyster reefs um, just by, they'd, you'd find little pockets in the sand just swimming around here. And when I started looking into to oyster reefs, that's kind of when I came across your work. And um, that's kind of what's spurred this whole project. Mm. That's so cool. You... You stumbled across a lost ecosystem, yeah. and there was nothing really to to indicate. There was no, no. resources available for yeah. you to know what the hell you were looking at. Yeah, and the fact that, like, well, I mean, as far as the the resources online were all the publications over in Adelaide, so it's you know you figure it's probably it's probably the same thing. It's close enough, yeah. which thankfully it, it it was, and it's 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 all part of the same it's all part of the same uh, larger scale ecosystem yeah so yeah 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 good pretty neat and um what do you think bringing back native oyster reefs would mean uh, coffin oysters are sort of synonymous with, with coffin bay 
Um, but it's also a scene of devastation. Yeah. Uh, if you have that historical knowledge, it's just it's out of sight because it's beneath the waters. What do you think bringing back oyster reefs in Coffin Bay could, could mean for Coffin Bay? I think for, from, from my perspective, for somebody who, who does spend all of their time looking at fish and looking at marine life, the potential to have increased biodiversity and to have better visibility, cleaner water, that to me is huge. But for somebody who you know, goes out on the water and goes, for, goes fishing over the weekend, for them to have more fish to catch, um, to to have uh, you know a better experience on the water, um, to to be able to go and swim and be able to see the the ocean, the sea floor, which it's not that deep here. You know, it's only like four or five meters in some spots. Um, I think the deepest spot we have here is is like eight meters, mm-hmm. and so to be able to see all the way to the bottom, um, and not, and I know a lot of, a lot of people here are also concerned about sharks and pointers because there have been people in the surrounding, you know, community members in the surrounding areas that have been impacted by people getting eaten by great whites. So a lot of people here have a fear. Um, A lot of people here are scared of great whites, which is, it's understandable, but, you know, they're not coming into these ecosystems, right? They're not coming into the estuaries. And people, you know, they, they, they look at me like I'm crazy sometimes just going and scuba diving in these waters. But there's no, there's no real, you know, there's, it's not a concern of mine here because these are ecosystems in which great whites don't go into. There's no food source for them here. And some people might say that, oh, you're going to be creating a food source for the great whites with these oyster reefs. But, you know, great whites, they're only going for larger pelagic species. They're going for the sea lions um, out at, breed, at the breeding colonies, which th- these oyster reefs aren't going to be bringing in those pelagic species. So it's it's not a concern for me. I think it should give people a peace of mind when they go swimming here and they can see all the way to the bottom. There, it's not it's not a murky bottom that's they when they when they physically enter the water and they look down and they can only see, you know, on some days when it's a bit siltier or they can only see a couple meters. That fear of being surrounded in the unknown, right? Mm. But if they can see twenty meters in front of them, they're not going to feel that way. And if they have a if they have a oyster reef to provide them with that, with the literal clarity and peace of mind, they're gonna be they're gonna have a much better time. The, the experience that it's gonna transition from that of fear into being able to understand what what the ecosystem is comprised of. Because mm. most days, if you if you jump in, you might not be able to see all the way to the bottom. Mm. There's plenty of days where you can, but there's other days where you can't. So being able to see and know what's down there is going to provide lots of peace of mind yeah there's that there's that level of, of mystery and unknown yeah. um, that makes marine systems maybe seem a bit scary for yeah. people particularly when you associate that with big sharks uh, and yeah big sharks offshore here but yeah this is that's uh, a, a common concern that people bring up you know if you restore oyster reefs aren't you going to bring in more sharks (laughs) and that's such a long way downstream from the potential benefits to emerge from oyster reef restoration um yeah it's 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 always an interesting one to deal with i'll just ask one more question and then we'll just freestyle i was just i'm wondering um how 
optimistic you are about the prospects of a community-led habitat restoration here in Coffin Bay and what that might mean for um, for com sort of community well-being. I'm short answer. I'm very optimistic. I think that there's going to be heaps of community benefits, cultural benefits, ecological benefits for these for these ecosystems to get put in or to, to become restored. You know, there's the fishing aspects, there's the the water clarity aspect, the biodiversity. There's 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 lots of lots of reasons. I think one of the one of the biggest things for me is kind of watching people's mindsets change, actual people's point of view and their perspective and their the way that they interact with these resources that we have in our backyard. You know, a lot of people here view the ocean as a as a primary, you know, as a as a, as a food source. People go fishing and they go diving for abalone and for crays and that's cool. Like I don't I don't I don't have an issue with that. Personally, like I think that's great. It's you know, the most sustainable way to do it is to go and hunt your own food. I I do it. It's it's a uh, much better than factory farming, you know, but it's about doing it in a sustainable way, which for a long time hasn't been the case. There's organization like the 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but it's uh, Persa or Sardi. I want to say it's it would be Sardi that they set the fish take limits. Persa. It's Persa, yeah. So Persa sets the 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 daily take limits for you know, for, for whiting and for scallops. And just to use scallops as an example, um, 50 years ago, even even longer before that, the, the daily take limits for scallops was 100. 100 per person per day. The uh, older generations, locals who have lived here or visited this area for a long period of time, they've, you know, they, used, they tell me, oh, Manny, uh, the you know back in back in the day, the the spots right in front of Oyster HQ, the spots right in front of the yacht club, you used to be able to go out and take take a hundred scallops a day, and uh, they they used they used to be everywhere. You would you would you would you couldn't walk out into the water without stepping on one, right? Mm -hmm. And today you go to those same spots, and there's none there. There's none left. It's all sil it's all silty sandy bottom. However, the legislation hasn't changed. It's still the day, if you if you look it up, the daily take limit for scallops is a hundred per person per day, which is insane. And it, it it's it hasn't changed, mm. and people still go out. And there there's I'm not gonna say where, but there are places in the bays that if you have scuba equipment, you can still find scallops. You're not gonna find a hundred on a dive. I, I think some of the some of the spots I go, I I, I might be able to find you know, 25 or 30 over the course of an hour swimming around. Um, but the fact is, is people are today will still go out to some spots and take as many as they can, which is insane. But that's slowly changing with, um, with the students we've had come through here and the people we talk to about this, the perspective is changing. There's not, not, just, not just the newer generation, but the older generation as well. They're, they're understanding that you can't keep taking without giving back. And if you do, it's gonna, it's, it's just gonna keep making the environment worse. And we're kind of, I've kind of, we're kind of at the point here where I feel like there is room to, oh, there's plenty of room to improve the environment. And we're kind of on the tipping point where if things continue to get worse, it's gonna be very, very, very difficult to get it back to where it was. So right now we're at, we're at a good place to where 
you know these prospects of restoring the environment are it's possible like it's to it's 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 totally doable um but 10 years from now it might not be mm -hmm. 20 years from now it might not be so like we have to do something now about it and if we don't it'll get worse but i think it'll get better before it gets worse if you know if if the the prospects of putting in these or reviving these these reefs pans out so mm. Mm. and and the expertise is is emerging now you know we we are learning how to bring back an ecosystem from next to nothing i um but what I really liked about about your response there was that changing of, of mindset, mm. and for conservation to be successful. I, I remember when I first came here to work on the first large oyster reef restoration project, and I was thinking, you know, what science is going to be really beneficial? What do we need? And for the previous six, seven years, I've been focusing all on on the oysters and what they do for the environment, and I. I recognise that more data is going to be valuable, of course, for the efficiency with which we can restore these ecosystems, but it's changing human behaviour and creating a, a cultural shift towards more sustainable environmental behaviour that will drive the greatest changes in uh, greatest ecological, socio-ecological changes. And that's the kind of the, the silver bullet in many ways. It's managing human activities because marine ecosystems can they are they can be quite resilient. And you, you're talk, you were talking about you know we might be close to some sort of tipping point where it won't be possible without more extreme intervention to restore these ecosystems. But there are still clearly some oysters, even though the reefs are gone, mm. and we're talking about reefs that were probably meters thick you know layer upon layer upon layer of oysters laid down over thousands of years mm. that were dredged out and now uh some of those reefs still exist but they're buried under feet of sand yeah um but there would be individual oysters here or there because farmers are still seeing some natural recruitment there could be a point where there isn't any more natural recruitment. Yeah. Uh, to bring them back would require far more investment um but there's an opportunity here because it seems like conditions. You know, if if you can farm oysters here, you you can restore oysters here. Yeah. The productivity of the oyster farms alludes to the fact that conditions are ripe for restoration, and we're farming a native, uh, uh, a non-native oyster for commercial purposes on mass. Why not regenerate through restorative activities? native oysters which which are going down for perpetuity they won't be harvested and that will create that sustainability that you were talking about you know bag limits they need to be adaptive to what the to the state of the environment governments are hesitant to over legislate what people can and can't do because in many ways the marine environment is seen as the commons that everybody should have access to so it makes them really hesitant to change bag limits but if there are activities we can do, so bag limits should change, but there are activities like restoration that can build that resilience back into marine ecosystems. Yeah. So you know we can, so people can go out and harvest 100 scallops and not feel uh, and not damage the environment and maybe have a sense of well-being because they're also giving something back. Yeah.
And I think as far as like the bag limits go, sure, it's a uh, hundred is is the limit. But like, how many do you actually need to put a meal on the table? Mm. You know, I think being able to educate the community that you know to 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 feed you and your partner or you and your partner and your your kid, you don't need a hundred. No. Right. There's. It's about not just changing the legislation, but yeah, changing or educating people so that they know that maybe they don't need to take as much as they are or that they have been, historically speaking. Hmm. So yeah, yeah, don't have to have grand banquets with a hundred bloody scholars <laughs> every every night. <laughs> no. um, well, not that they're doing that every night, but, <laughs> no, it's, no. but they can't. But, and but it, they it, could. It, they could. And it'd be, it would be, I would, I would love to go out and be able to, to take, you know, to, to, to go grab 50 scallops yeah. without a few handfuls. Yeah. Without, yeah. without like destroying the ecosystem. Yeah. You know, it'd yeah. be, it'd be cool if you could do that, but yeah, we can't, that's not, we're not, we're not at that point yet. It's going to be, and it's going to be probably before we get to that point, I can, I imagine it probably be a few decades, hmm. 20, 30 years, but that's the thing. This is, this is like, this is uh hopefully is you know lays lays the foundation for our children and for for the next following generations to to keep it up because we'd love to get back to that point yeah love to i'd love to see the ecosystem described as it was when you know my father-in-law would go swimming in the base here he used to he used to tell me you get you can get barracuda and like all sorts of crazy cool fish in the bay but they haven't been around for decades mm-hmm. but they used to be and i'd, I'd love to i'd love to see it restored to to what it used to be mm. and you know the i think the ingredients the social and cultural and maybe legislative ingredients are emerging to start to move back towards uh, there are more activities and potential to restore the environment than ever before it really feels to me like we might be you know, there's this hashtag rest, generation restoration. Mm. Um, there's potentially a cultural shift, and it's a small part of the population that are involved with it. But if you can show the benefits of uh, to people getting involved and coming together, and sure. and the enjoyment of seeing an ecosystem restored, and then those ecological benefits emerge, so people are enjoying their fishing more, and more people are coming to fish in the sea, bringing in. You know, indirectly um, contributing to the economy. Yeah, there's, there's just so many wins from yeah. from this restoration work. Yeah. The interesting thing about oysters is that, you know, the it's the most one of the. There's a lot of optimism mm. around this potential to the, restore them, but there should also be so much pessimism on the state of the environment because mm. we push that ecosystem be to the brink. It's yeah. functionally extinct here. It's just that they went extinct before, you know, people don't, there's no living memory of those, uh, you know, being able to capture 100 scallops or barracuda. You know, people have forgotten about the oysters. So yeah. it's this really novel idea. And that just makes it a very exciting project. If you can bring back an extinct ecosystem in a few years, uh, in a few short years, you know, if we can demonstrate that, who knows where uh, these you know so small community projects can can go? How big they could get? I think there's a bit of a catch twenty two here as well. Talking about the 
economic side of things because there's going to be benefits for you know for all sorts of industries here um the aquaculture industry they're gonna you know the if there's a more stable ecosystem and less you know boom and bust cycles of of um, different algaes growing and um different you know different diseases flowing about in the water it's going to make the you know the oyster industry it's going to it's going to benefit them right um, it'll benefit the tourism industry. There will be people coming around to see, um, see these. They're just wanting to check them out. There's gonna be people wanting to fish them. So it's gonna, you know, there's 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 gonna be a lot of a lot of local industry that's gonna benefit from this. Um, something something that does scare me, and, and maybe maybe you'd have some insight as to what the effects on this have been is the. The housing market because right now we're at a point in time where um, Airbnbs and investment properties are becoming becoming super popular and it is suppressing the amount of available homes for long-term renters and for locals who don't own homes and you got people moving here uh, like myself like I'm I'd love to buy a house here but right now it's it's crazy. The market is insane, right? And so, if we're going to be building a reef here, and you know, making and dry, like you know, boosting the economy, what's what's going to be the effect on the housing market, right? If if more people are going to want to come here, I, I'd imagine that it's going to be harder for people like myself to own a home here one day. Like, so, like, what? <laughs> but also, I, I'd imagine that by by putting these reefs here. We could potentially be generating, create like creating new jobs, mm -hmm. right? For let's say if you know if the if the government wants to invest in having people monitor these reefs or mm -hmm. continue to build larger scale reefs in the mm -hmm. future if, if all goes well here, mm -hmm. um, what what do you think that's that's going to look like um, for, so, for for so, locals? <laughs> so there's there's a lot of evidence to show that. If you invest um, dollar for dollar, uh, you get far more return on investment in terms of job creation, yeah. investing in ecosystem restoration, as opposed to investing in other primary industries or mining, for example. Uh, you know, mining is a really attractive thing to sure. to invest in because it generates so much money for the economy, uh, but it doesn't create the same diversity, uh, the, the same abundance and diversity of jobs sure. as something like ecosystem restoration can. Because there's a lot of, it's not just the practitioners on the ground, it's not just the people who are diving, there's, all, there's a whole restoration economy around projects in terms of material creation and, and breeding um, programs. And um, so, there is the opportunity for a lot of job creation and as a sort of ecotourism hub uh, i think there's a lot of opportunity for for, for tourism's for, for tourism to to benefit from these restorations um the housing market issue is is a horrendous we're in a horrendous situation at how quickly it's changing how quickly thing housing prices are, are, are going up and everybody wants to live by the sea in some ways, we're very fortuitous in Australia that we have a relatively low population density, that there are still magnificent places like this which have a really low population density. But I see massive seaside mansions 
going up here, there and everywhere uh, in, in Coffin Bay. And a lot of those people are, are probably, maybe they live in Adelaide, maybe they live in Port Lincoln, and maybe they plan to create an Airbnb. Um, that's definitely problematic for for locals who just want to have a house to live in. But it's not a unique problem, right? Like, it's happening it's everywhere. It's definitely not. And I remember hearing uh, somebody who researches the tourism market, and they were saying that you know, tourism has to change because people, uh, there's, there's you know, almost 8 billion people on the planet, and a lot of those people have, particularly in the more affluent parts, of, of the world uh, able to spend exorbitant amounts of money to go here, there and everywhere and I remember hearing about the, the three horsemen of the tourism apocalypse being <laughs> cheap flights yeah. being Instagram yeah. <laughs> and Airbnb yeah. um, because you're, you're turning, you can turn little seaside towns or isolated pockets of coastline yeah. into destinations that somebody on the other side of the world can see an image on Instagram and go, shit, I want to get there. Yeah. Uh, and that tr the, the traffic that <clears throat> that creates in, in natural places that may not have the infrastructure to deal with sustainable tourism is yeah. going to be really problematic. Yeah. And one thing I kind of, you know, as far as Coffin Bay goes, something that kind of gives me peace of mind is that it's, it's, it's kind of hit the limit for its growth. There's no more room for expansion. There's not really any more room for building. Um, and a lot of the homes here are owned by locals, right? Like that's, you know, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of the homes here have been passed down from generation to generation. And so I'm not too like concerned about, about that side of things, like the overexpansion of it. Mm. Um, for me, over tourism definitely does concern me. We're seeing like year in and year out, there's more and more people what, coming into the area. Yeah. What does it look like at the height of summer? I mean, it's like every every accommodation is booked out. Yeah. Um, How does the, the town deal with that? That massive influx of and, and you know, waste, the logistics around waste oh production. Oh god, that's that's a that's a. So this is well, I've we've been uh, we've been having chats with council lately. Um, the low the lower air council is who we're governed by, um, and they are responsible for infrastructure and the roads and the waste management. Um, right now, there's, I mean, there's not room to put parking lots, right? We don't want to, we don't want to rip out all the scrub to make more room for parking. And what, what we're seeing now is, as far as physically, when people are coming into coffins and parking their cars, they're just parking on the side of the road. They're parking wherever they can find parking. And it's, there's only one road in and out of town, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it definitely generates traffic. Um, sometimes it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's a small town, so it's, to get from one side to the other should take about five minutes. Sometimes it takes ten minutes to get to the other side of town when, when things are really busy. So it's not like it's that crazy, mm -hmm. but it's it definitely it's noticeable. Um, as far as the impacts of waste and waste management, it's awful. Um, there's you know you go drive through the national park where there's like certain campsites and all the bins are full. Um, we don't have enough bins, and we've been hounding counselor council to to install more, um, to, to make more like public waste spaces available, just putting in more bins around, around the coast. Because 
during the summer when I go diving, I'm picking up trash out of the water all the time. It's awful. Um, thankfully, the council has, or they've, they've brought in recycling, which has been great. That's been a, that's been a huge, uh, a huge, like a huge, uh, it's been, it's been massively po positive for the environment. Um, we've is had, that, is that recent? It's pretty recent. We just got, we just got recycling bins last year. Oh my, wow. And before that, it was all getting put in the, recycling and trash was getting put in the same bins and sent off to the dump in Lincoln. Um, and so as far as, as far as having a recycling program in place, which it was actually just a, when they first brought it in, it was a trial. They, they, they were just kind of testing to see if it would work. And it absolutely did. Everybody was putting, was sorting out their mm. recycling immediately. Mm. And they found that, oh yeah, this is, this is working. Mm. People are, people are, people are going about, which I, doing it the right way, which I think was the, uh, council's concern is that people are just using it as an extra trash bin, but people have been pretty, pretty good about that, yeah. thankfully. Um, so as far as as far as waste management, the recycling programs helped out a lot, but there's still work to be done on uh, putting out bins and also signage. That's also a big thing, like having having proper signage and pointing people to the right places, um, to where they can dispose of their trash. You know, having having things along the oyster walk, having having trash bins along the oyster walk to um, for when people are going on their walks and they have their granola bars in their pocket and somewhere to for them to put their trash because mm. otherwise it falls out of their pocket and ends up in the scrub mm. um which um people like karen McEwen from the lower air coast care group um every year they run a cleanup it's, it's through cleanup australia is the organization so they they do a cleanup australia day where they they go out last year we we did a cleanup dive so they went out and did a whole heap of rubbish removal from the scrubs and the oyster walk and the surrounding area um, and we went and did a cleanup dive and pulled out a bunch of trash from the, from the fishing jetty. Um, the lot of trash in there? Yeah, heaps of trash. We pulled out, I mean, like, there's, there's, there's photos of it on our, on our social media. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it was just, it's just, it's massive, massive amounts of trash. And heaps of random things like lawn chairs, like camping chairs mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. like PVC pipes and, yeah, just like I found an air conditioning unit thrown off one of the fishing boats. Like uh, heaps of crap. It's 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 a uh, artificial reef creation. <laughs> yeah, but there's nothing growing on. Is the problem? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just fish aggregation. But yeah, so as far as as far as infrastructure goes, it's lacking. There's like no doubt about it. And council needs to. They need to invest more in it. And right now, it seems like their their concerns are with the airport. Um, you know, we have these meetings with them because because they own the airport, so they're 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 concerned about where the the marketing dollars are going and how they're bringing in money, and also the fact that you know they're they're they've got other income streams from from all these investment properties that are doing you know short term accommodation, um, which it's not it's not helping, right? Mm -hmm. So like, sure, the council might be getting money from it, which can be put back into local resources. But the way that the money is getting used, and the way the how they're allocating their resources, it's it it's it doesn't seem to be benef benefiting the community, mm -hmm. which is w how they should be focusing their resource allocation. Mm -hmm. Should be going into benefiting the community, mm -hmm. right? That's that's what they're mm -hmm. there for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, that's that at least that's that's from my perspective as as a. You know, I've only been here for a handful of years. I've lived in 
different places and for the most part like it seems like this 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 community is is amazing mm-hmm. um I, I don't think i've lived in a place that's where i've, I've felt like there's been a really really tight-knit uh group of people that care about where they live a lot of places that i've lived hasn't really cared as much um but even then there's still work to be done yeah um, and monday demonstrated that with our with our community forum our community meeting i mean we we had it was at a at the coffin bay yacht club which is run by volunteers yeah um it opened up on a monday night mm. and for very little amount of money put on food to bring in a large portion of the town yeah we had we had, <laughs> we had almost uh, cl- maybe close closer to 100 people there yeah and i think out of the permanent population which i, I, I don't quote me on this, but I think it's about 600 people is what the last census said is the this, like the stable population. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's that's, uh, that's that's almost 20% of the entire town yeah, coming out. That, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people yeah. coming out to hear about some, uh, you know, new idea, kind of nebulous concept to a lot of people, but we're trying to sort of create some reality around it and to see that sort of response. To know that people are concerned yeah. about the marine environment, but maybe don't necessarily know how to do something about it, mm. how to get involved, and uh, I think that's that's the that's the really important thing: creating opportunities for people to contribute. Because not everybody has the opportunity to to spend time in nature to see the challenges and opportunities. And not everybody knows about the potential solutions and how within grasp they might be. Like, for us to start to bring back this lost ecosystem, it's not going to be logistically. Um, there are hurdles, legislative hurdles, to step through which are complicated. But it's largely about um, people investing the, themselves. It's largely about people power. Yeah. Uh, because the resources are are available mm. there's oyster shell that's being grown locally yeah. and can be put back almost immediately into the marine environment here because it's it's from the same from the same location uh, and then can provide go from an economic resource can provide a socio-ecological resource by restoring the environment and uh, yeah, that, that's a beautiful demonstration of a, of a circular economy in many ways because they're growing restoration material. And think from the farmer's perspective, if they can see the benefits of restoration, that must be a really exciting thing to, for them to buy into. And there's going to be farmers who aren't excited as well, and maybe they have some legitimate concerns. But uh, that's what community-based projects are about having conversation, engaging lots of people, and giving everybody an opportunity to contribute yeah. and, and make sure that they're, they're being heard. It's a, it's a bloody big area that's been degraded. And um, you know, we have the opportunity to start working on that now. And it's not going to change the marine environment dramatically in a, short, uh, you know, in a, in a really short period of time, but it will have benefits over the longer period. I'm so I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so, I'm I'm psyched. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be good too. to see 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 what the uh, how it changes. Yeah, Monday was amazing. I just I love the the diversity of of the group there. Mm. 
covered all age groups. Need to focus on the toddler market. Not many of them <laughs> there. Well, it was quite late at night. But to have it at a volunteer-run yacht club in the centre of town with emus strolling about and knowing that these these you know reefs yeah. were just there a few meters away 150 odd years ago um and to know that we can bring them back that's that's incredibly exciting i'm i'm i'm, I'm excited to see if, if we're able to you know potentially put a reef in front of the yacht club mm. just you know in an area where there's you know you have a you have you have the jetty the the new jetty that's been put in um right now there's not a lot of not a heap of growth or not a whole lot of life that's that's uh, found its way to living uh, at the yacht club jetty, um, but it'll be interesting if we if we could put put a, a small section of reef just under the jetty, because um, that that'll, that'll be an area where everybody can just walk down, look straight down. It's good visibility right yeah. there. Um, it's relatively relatively clean and be yeah. able to see sort of right now. There's nothing there and give it a few years and see the potential for all the new life that's that's moved in mm. and and jetties are a great resource as well for a, a great piece of infrastructure yeah. for learning about restoration potential so uh in many parts of for example the u.s mm. locals who have jetties yeah. grow oysters in baskets yep. uh, which then get outplanted to restoration projects and in New York Harbour uh, schools grow their own little called oyster gardening they have their own little oyster gardens where students get to monitor the growth rates of oysters over time until those oysters get old enough to be planted out on the reef so that's a really really exciting opportunity and you know it's just there's so many facets to uh, oysters are such an interesting animal to work with because nobody really cares about them unless they have a bit more context because they're not that relatable. They don't have cute eyes or any other features that uh, that we associate with animals. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people aren't even sure if they are an animal. But you know, they have a heart. They have they have kidneys. They and 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 they have a story to tell we can tell it i'm excited to tell that story yeah excited to i mean we're at right at the beginning of it too yeah. at least for the for the, the the story of reviving the oyster reefs here this is this is we're right at the beginning we are this is potentially writing history right yeah here. well these the, yeah, these are legacy projects and yeah. to have those young people in the audience on monday and to know that they may well be living here in 70 years yeah. time and they might be able to recall oh yeah that was that was the ground floor yeah. um that's that's really exciting and that's what motivates me thinking about uh you know these ecosystems being around and having people work on them over decades till they mature into thriving ecosystems that that are protected and valued not just as a as a resource for, for food and, and economy but for many other things um, that go beyond that. Yeah, I'm keen as. Mm. It's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to look back and see all the work that mm. it's gonna, uh, that's been put into it. So. Yeah, what a day! What an absolute stunner.
that was Conservation Conversations with Dr. Dominic McAfee and me, Manny Katz. I hope you enjoyed our chat. If you're after more information, you can find it at coffinbayoysterreef.org. On the site, you can find links to scientific articles, sign up to our newsletter to receive updates about the project, and directly donate to our community-led citizen science program. You can also follow the project on Instagram and Facebook at Coffin Bay Scuba Co. And you can follow Dom on Twitter at Dominic McAfee 6. You can also find links to all of the socials at coffinbayoysterreef.org. Another way you can support the project is by rating five stars on the podcast and by sharing it with a friend. The more ratings and support we get for the project, the more we can do for our marine ecosystems. We'll be back later this week with more interviews and updates about the project, so stay tuned and thanks for listening.